Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the program and thank you for joining me. This is Trucking with Authority, the show dedicated to helping you take authority of your trucking business. I'm your host, Kenny Long, and I'm here to help you learn the ins and outs of what it takes to become a motor carrier. I'd like to help you make the decision of the right move for your business and to help you understand what a carrier deals with on a day-to-day basis. If you're on the fence about getting your authority or if you're leased to a carrier now, I want to try to help you understand what happens on the other side so you can make educated decisions about what's best for your business. If you have a question about getting your authority and becoming a motor carrier, or if you already have your authority and want to share your experiences, press 1 and you'll get to talk to my lovely wife, Elizabeth, who is screening the calls today, and she'll get you on the program. So let's get started. The first thing I'd like to do is emphasize again, and I'm going to make this a point on on every show, there's nothing to be afraid of with getting your own authority. I've talked about it a few times about how easy the process is, uh, and I mentioned that there's a lot of paperwork and there's record-keeping requirements, but there's nothing too complicated that anybody can't handle. Um, and Every day I read articles from various trucking publications, all of them talking about all the regulations coming down the pipe, all the things that are proposed, all the things that are already law and they're just trying to figure out how to enforce them. And there's just so many things that have truck drivers and owners afraid of what FMCSA is going to do, tell you that there's nothing to be afraid of. In fact, I think all of those things play into your hand, and there is no time like the present. This is the best time in a long time to have your own authority. Things are great right now. Rates are good, record setting, but you have to be in a position to be able to negotiate those and deal with those, dispatch yourself to take advantage of those, which means you either need to be in a lease contract that allows you to dispatch yourself, or you need to have your own authority. There's a lot of benefits to having your own authority. And, of course, there's a lot of benefits to being leased as well. But if you're leased, if you understand the process of how all these things work, it can help you to make better decisions in the long run on how to run your business and to assist your carrier to help you run your business. Because there's a lot that the carrier can do for you when you're leased to a carrier that you may not see. And And what I find is, a lot of people are hesitant to get their own authority because they don't know what's happening behind the scenes. And if you don't know what's happening behind the scenes, how are you supposed to really make the best decisions for yourself? So while I base this program mostly on trying to make the decision to get your own authority, I think it also helps people that are in a, a lease contract to understand what their carrier is also going through. So if you're in a lease and you're on a mileage contract, you really have some decisions to make because right now the freight rates are, like I said, they're record-breaking. You have to be in a position to take advantage of that. If you are a company driver and you're considering becoming an owner-operator, now is a great time to learn all you can about making the transition into the company that will put you in a place where you can negotiate those rates yourself. 
And a lot of people are intimidated by that. I understand. It's a big step from going to from where you are dispatched by somebody else. You don't see any of the negotiation process. You don't see any of the paperwork shuffle. You don't see any of that. You just drive the truck. Now, becoming an owner, it's appealing to take a contract that puts you on a mileage base where you just, it's similar to being a a company driver. You just get paid by the miles you, you put behind you. But that's not the best way to run a business in today's market. So, if you are on the fence about getting your authority, emphasize that it's just a, it's a really easy process and there's nothing to worry about. I've read several uh, posts and blogs and articles uh, just this past week about people, actually people that have listened to my first couple of podcasts that have already made the transition and have taken the steps to get their authority. I've also talked to people that have already gone through their first new entrant audit and just amazed at how simple the process is. And again, I am not a fan of our government and all the red tape that it brings. But I will say that the FMCSA has got their system set up fairly simple. They've nailed this one. There's a lot of rules and regulations you have to follow, but it's a simple process. It's very straightforward. So some of the regulations that I've mentioned that are coming down the pipe that make things very appealing for the sooner the better, I would say, being with some people earlier this week that were about to possibly get their authority, but they were really leaning towards just changing to companies to another lease program where they could dispatch themselves. And I brought this to their attention. And this was something that was discussed on uh, the Rate Per Mile Masters Facebook page. It was talked about the regulations on insurance that they're proposing uh, an increase. And currently, the minimum requirement for physical liability on a truck is $750,000, which is a commercial auto liability policy for your truck. That's fairly expensive in your first two years. In fact, that is probably the biggest expense when you're getting set up. Your first year you're extremely high risk and many insurance companies won't change your risk assessment until after your second year in business. Some are even pushing that into three and four years now. The current proposals, which are actually going to be voted on on September 29th, there are, again, we're at $750,000 now and there are, proposals out there to push that up to $4.42 million. That doesn't benefit anybody but trial lawyers. That's a horrible idea that may put a lot of small carriers out of business that are not prepared, and it will be very, very difficult for new carriers to enter the marketplace. It's unlikely that it will pass at $4.2 million. It may not pass at all this time around, but I assure you, it's coming. At some time in the future, expect these insurance premiums to go up, and it may go up exponentially. And until it actually happens, there's no way to know what it might be. But if you are still in that high-risk level of a brand-new carrier, a new entrant, then you are going to get nailed the hardest with this increase. So the sooner the better. 
if you were to get your authority now, you might be able to squeak in before these rules actually come into effect in a couple of years. You might at least be able to get that first year under your belt, which could make a dramatic difference. And when I say dramatic, in my particular case, I have a new driver, new CDL holder working for me, and it, was the, it could be the difference of $11,000 per truck per year. Chunk of money, and if it only is a matter of a few months time frame, I would say if you're on the fence, now is the time to make it happen. Go for it and get your authority. It's a simple process. I've gone over it before at fmcsa.dot.gov. Follow the links. It'll put you through a quick questionnaire, and it will basically explain the process to you. I think 10 to 15 minutes. Most people could fill out all the forms necessary. It's a $300 application fee. After that, you need to make sure your insurance is binded and uh, sent to the FMCSA. After about three weeks, once all of that is in place, you're ready to go. So after you're set up, and I've talked a couple of times. Uh, you can go back and replay the, um, the first show from two weeks ago. I went through the process a little more detailed on how to get set up with your authority and the FMCSA process. Uh, so I won't go too much deeper into that. But once you're set up, there are some more requirements that you need to follow. That first part is very simple. I mentioned before all the scams out there with all these various third-party companies that will assist you, quote-unquote, assist you with setting things up. And this is where they have a little bit of an advantage. And it's after the original FMCSA application is filed, all of the little things that you have to do. So that's what I want to start to cover now. And I won't be able to go into a lot of detail because every one of these websites and states have their own little process, and I can't walk. I don't have time in these shows to walk through every one of the processes, and you'd all fall asleep if I tried. So I'm just going to touch on those, and you can research them further on your on your own. Uh, the next step, again, you've already filled out your application with FMCSA. You've paid your $300 fee. 21-day waiting period. You've got your insurance set up. I've already mentioned you have to get into a drug consortium. You've already done that. You've taken your first uh, uh, pre-employment drug screen for yourself. You've set up your process agents, which uh, mo many companies will do that for a small minimal fee, maybe $20. If you're a member of OIDA, NASTIC, some of those organizations, they, they might do that for you as part of their membership. Once you're past that stage, the next thing is to set yourself up to actually cross state lines because you've registered now with the federal government, but now you have to make sure that you're recognized by all the states. So the next thing you have to do is register with the Unified Carrier Agreement, which is basically an organization that takes all of your federal information that you've registered and disperses it evenly among all the states. So everybody has it. So when you cross state lines, when you go across the, the way station and the 
uh, DOT officer sees your DOT number on the side of your truck, he punches it into his computer, and your files come up, whatever state you're in. Uh, all your basic information will, will be there, and the UCR basically assures that happens. It's a simple process, and most states are a part of the UCR agreement, but you'll have to register with your state if you are. So that's why I can't go through every process because everyone is different. However, there are some states that do not participate in this agreement. You still have to register because you're going to be driving through states that are a part of it. So if you are in a state that is not a part of that, you register with the next closest state. For example, Florida, where I am based, that is not a part of the UCR. So I have to register in the state of Georgia. Process of trying to figure out what states are and what states are not a part of all of this, it actually became very difficult because there's not a, a consolidated place that lists everything. I looked online, I called some accountants, I called some attorneys, transportation attorneys. I even talked to uh, on Rico uh, Rates and Lanes. He had uh, Henry Seaton, the transportation attorney that is uh, part of the NASDAQ organization. He was on Rico's show last week, and I even called into his show and asked this question about intrastate authority because there is no consolidated place to find it. However, I found out that there is a place that we can all turn to to find out some of this stuff, and it's in the Rand McNally Atlas. In the front pages of your Rand McNally Atlas, it actually has a lot of information that's overlooked by most people, including myself until recently. In that atlas, there is a section in the front pages labeled Operating Authority. There is a section there for the UCR website. If your state is a part of the UCR agreement, there is a website listed to where you will go to register for the UCR within your state. It's a $76 registration fee. It has to be renewed annually. You do not have to carry any anything with you. Again, the purpose of the UCR is to distribute your information to all the states. So all the states should know that you're a part of it because they have your information. So there's nothing, no document or anything that you need to carry in your credentials book, but it's a $76 fee. Frankly, this is one of those extraneous organizations that we don't really need because everybody's got access to the FMCSA website, including all the states, but this is a requirement. So again, in your FMCSA, or in your uh, Rand McNally, you'll have the list of all of the websites for the UCR. In addition to UCR, if you are going to travel in certain states, you need to register for the road use tax for those states. Just like the IRS 2290, which is for the federal highways, which is $550 per year right now, if you drive through the state of New York, through the state of Kentucky, through the state of New Mexico, or through the state of Oregon, you need to register with those states' tax branches to uh, pay a use tax on their state highways. So in the state of New York, you'll need to register and the state of New York requires you to get a small 4 by 4 inch sticker 
that is going to be displayed on the front of your truck, and it will have your uh, highway use tax account number on that sticker. Again, you'll have every t every quarter when you file your IFTA taxes, you will have to also log into the New York tax website, and you will have to file the highway use tax for the state of New York. Also, the state of Kentucky. State of Kentucky requires you to register and actually get a KYU number. That number is count number with the Kentucky uh, tax branch. You're going to pay your use tax on Kentucky highways. Again, every quarter, you after you fill out your IFTA, you'll start with your um, you'll go into the Kentucky website and register that as well. I believe some of these scam, quote-unquote, scam third-party places, some of them say a couple of hundred dollars to register with all of those. I believe New York is around $25, maybe $29. Kentucky is about the same. And then New Mexico. And New Mexico is, uh, if you don't travel through the state of New Mexico very often, you don't actually have to register with them. When you go into the port of entry, you can tell them in the office what your route is and when you'll be, uh, where you'll be entering, what, where you'll be delivering, and where you'll be exiting, or if you're just passing straight through and so forth. And they will work all that out for you, and you can pay a, a fee at the port of entry. However, it's usually a lot more expensive, and you can be caught off guard if you don't have the money on hand. It's a $6 fee to go ahead and get registered with the state of New Mexico through their website. Again, uh, I don't have time to go through all of these websites, but I will tell you that if you just type in Highway Use Tax New York, KYU number, Kentucky, New Mexico, they call it the Weight Distance Tax, you type those things into your Google search bar, and it will pull up the appropriate website, and you can follow the instructions from there. The fourth state is a little bit more tricky, it's the state of Oregon. The state of Oregon, uh, if you've been through there before, you know they don't charge tax on fuel at the pump. Well, they want you to pay your road tax after the fact. So, again, you have the option, if you don't travel there very often, you, when you get to the port of entry, excuse me, let me back up on this because I don't want to get anybody uh, the wrong idea here. Before going to the state of Oregon, you need to call ahead and order a, uh, a trip permit, which is basically a prepaid uh, for the road miles that you'll be traveling. Again, this has to be done before you get to the port of entry in Oregon. Do not arrive at the port of entry because if you're there, you've already traveled on their roads without paying tax, and now you're in big trouble. So you need to call ahead, go ahead and tell them over the phone your, the route you'll be taking, where you'll be delivering, and the route out. You can do this. If you do not travel in the state of Oregon, you can do this up to five times in one fiscal year. Excuse me, in one calendar year. Five times in one calendar year. If you go to the state of Oregon more than five times in a calendar year, they require you to put a bond on uh, place a bond, which 
can be upwards of $2,500. To do that, you can either finance the bond through uh, an insurance company or you can actually put your $2,500 up. And as you pay your taxes as you go each quarter, uh, that bond re uh, amount gets reduced. Again, that's another one uh, that you'll, you'll have to Google. It's a little bit uh, more difficult process than I can get into over the phone here. So with all of that said, now those are all just taxes that you have to worry about for road use. And I'm elaborating a little bit, and I'm, I'm trying to emphasize some things, but it's really not that difficult. Again, whenever I'm searching for any of this type of stuff, the Google search bar can pull it all up. And when you type in the search for these things, it'll be on the first line of your search. It's a simple process. So there are a couple of other states that you need to be aware of. If you haul intrastate, now, this is where it gets confusing. Because with the Unified Carrier Agreement and the Unified Carrier Registration, all states are supposed to recognize your U.S. DOT number. However, some states are broke. Some states want your money. So some states make it more difficult than that. Even though they are a part of the UC, UCR, UCA, you still have to register with those states. Most states are do require you to register. And it may not be with the DOT of that state, it may actually be with the tax authority, the division of taxation with those states. In the front of your Rand McNally Atlas, it will list, again, under the operating authority section, it will list all the states that require, if you do intra-state work, they'll require you to register with that. However, most carriers do not follow those rules per se. If you do a lot of work in any particular state uh, and you do it on a, a routine basis, you need to contact that state and find out if you're going to uh, have requirements with those. If you do some work, you're probably okay. Uh, most states have a nexus, which is a limit of how many loads or a dollar figure of business that you do within their state before you're required to report it or pay tax. However, again, however, another red flag here, there are some states where it is more important to pay attention. Those states are the state of New Jersey. The state of New Jersey has been known to impound trucks if the tax is not paid or if you are not registered with your division of taxation. In your Rand McNally Atlas, it will say that there is no requirement for general freight. There are requirements for hazmat and liquor and so forth, but for general freight, there are no requirements. But that's through the DOT. You do have to re register with the New Jersey Department of Taxation. And it doesn't matter if it's intrastate or not, it's important that you register with them because they have been known again to impound your truck until the tax is paid on that load. And that's if you deliver or you pick up in that state. Pennsylvania is another one that you need to be aware of. If you do business in that state, you need to contact them. They have a nexus 
but they are one of the more strict states to worry about. And then there are two other states, well, we'll say three other states. California is one. That one slips my mind because that's they're in a whole other world over there. But Illinois, Texas, and California all require you to actually get a DOT number from the state. California will require you to display a decal on your truck. Illinois and Texas require you to register and get a a state DOT number, but it's not required to be posted on your truck. Illinois and Texas do check that if you're ever stopped at a way station or a roadside check, they do check to make sure that you're registered. So be aware. Uh, Illinois, I could see a lot of people getting by with, but Texas is a huge, huge state. So if you deliver in Texas, chances are there are a lot of loads you'll be interested to deliver within Texas again. So that might be something that you consider registering for. That information can be found in the front page of your Rand McNally Atlas or the Google search bar again. So I'm going to go ahead and get to some calls. Again, if you're on the line, if you have any questions about getting your authority, go ahead and press 1, and I'll get you on the air. Uh, if you have your own authority, you've got experiences with any of this stuff that you'd like to share, go ahead and press 1, and I'll bring you on. Uh, let me bring you in. Um, let's go to Rich in California. Hello. Hey, how's it going, Jenny? Hey, how you doing? Doing all right, man. Uh, uh I want I want to know if there's a advantage for I mean we're going through a lease another lease right now we're leased to a carrier we pull another carrier's trailer but Michelle and I want to get our own authority so would it be an advantage to take care of all the paperwork now and wait two or three years and then activate it or just do it right then at right then and there at at, at that time. Unfortunately, you'll have to wait because uh, the requirement to activate your new MC number is you have to have uh, insurance on your company, basically. You have to have liability insurance, which is the expensive part. And as long as you're leased to another carrier, you can't really get insurance for that truck under your DOT number. The insurance on your truck now has to basically go through the DOT number that you're working under. So it wouldn't really do you any good until it, the date that the insurance companies are going to go off of is the date that your authority became active. In fact, if you had your authority in the past, even years ago, and you let it go inactive and you maybe went back to uh, a lease program or something like that, people that reactivate their numbers years later are still frowned upon by the insurance companies because they had that gap. So it wouldn't do you any good to, to do that now till you're ready to actually activate it. Okay. Okay. Uh, another thing. Uh, you were saying something in your monologue about uh, registering with the taxation branch of most states. Now, yes. do you have to carry that documentation with you in your permit book? Or, you know, 
or does it fall under your U.S. DOT number, the one that's printed on the side of your truck? Uh, okay. Again, states like Illinois, Texas, California, uh, and then also, also those states you'll have to register for the intrastate. You'll have to get an actual state DOT number for those states. The state of New York, you'll get a sticker that goes on the front of your truck, and you'll have documentation with that. Uh, Kentucky, you will get a certificate saying that you're registered with the state for for tax purposes for your KYU number. You'll carry that with you in your credentials book. New Mexico will uh, give you a certificate saying that you're registered in your credentials book. And Oregon will also give you a, a certificate. Uh, they will give you a certificate if you're bonded, and they will also give you a certificate that you're required to carry with you even if you do a trip permit. And it actually has to be a printed certificate. Uh, so if you do it over the phone, you can't have them email it to you and then show the officer on your phone. You actually have to have a printed certificate with you if you do a trip permit for those. But yes, those states do re do have documentation. Now the others that uh, have intrastate, again, every state is different and it, it falls back on the state. Some states, for example, Tennessee. Tennessee, uh, I called the state of Tennessee. They have no requirements whatsoever. Uh, your U.S. DOT number is all it takes. So you you really have to go state by state on that. And this is where, you know, I even talked to, you know, a major transportation attorney, and most carriers get by without this. Now, if you start growing your fleet and you start waving a big banner, come the, uh, a little more noticeable, then these things might become more apparent. Now, I'm personally not registered with any of these individual states. But it's something that everybody needs to be aware of if they do a lot of business in those states to take into account uh, so that you don't get into any trouble. I personally do business a lot of interstate, but I don't do a lot of intrastate. So it's, uh, and I'm under the nexus of the limits that most of these states have. So it's not really an, an issue with any of them. So uh, most people can get away without it, but it's something that everybody should know about. Okay, sounds great. All right, have a good night. All right. Okay, we'll go to Christian. Christian, are you there? Can I help you? Yeah, hey, Kenny. Um, can you hear me? Yep. All right. He basically answered my question. Um, my question was going to be, I want to get my authority rocking and rolling because um, my truck's going to be paid off as of November. And I'd like to have my authority rocking and rolling January 1st, but I wanted to get everything established and going here in October. But you said that when you do so, you have to get the insurance as well. So I wouldn't be doing that until January. Right. Um, now, if that's the time frame you're working with, now November, you can go ahead and start the process, get the application done. Uh, now, essentially, though, here's something that since you're looking at the first of the year, you're right. basically starting a new business. Um, right. Even though you're 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 uh, you're leased to someone now, you've got your business now. You're you're basically starting a new business, so you have to look at uh, you know, well, I was going to say some tax advantages, but 
uh, you've already you're basically just uh, expanding your business now, so uh, it doesn't really apply in your situation. But um, you could start in November, uh, fill out the applications, pay the $300 fee, and go through the process. It does take about three weeks to be active, uh, and that's including when your insurance takes effect. So if you wanted to go ahead, fill out all the applications, you could probably your uh, all your states individual stuff that we're talking about today, you could have all of that ready to go. And then uh, come January 1st, go ahead and find your insurance policy. And as soon as the FMCSA gets it, they'll activate it right away. There won't be a three-week waiting period. Okay. All right. So That's really the only thing that they wait for. Okay. So as soon as I can show insurance, then my authority would be activated because I already have the ticket, the certificate. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, there's the processing time and everything, it might take a few days, but that's typically the, the, the holdup for most people is just making sure that your insurance company binds your policy. By the time that goes through underwriting and that's all active, then they have to fill out the, pro the proper forms, send that to FMCSA. FMC, FMCSA has to get it. They have to process it and make sure it meets all the requirements. Then they have to activate your authority and and send you all the documentation. And, and so it's just a sh paperwork shuffle, you know, red tape that you have to go through. But a lot of people will wait till the, till the last minute to get their, you know, their insurance. And they're looking at, you know, the 20th, 21st day, and they think their insurance, their uh, authority is about to be active. And they've waited so long for their insurance. And now they've got to wait that much longer for the paperwork shuffle. In your case, you already know the time frame you're working with. So go ahead and fill it out. And, you know, whenever you're ready for your insurance, go ahead and, uh, and apply then. They'll keep your uh, your application pending until you meet all the requirements. Okay. All right. And let me get – I wanted to get your opinion as well because I know that I said that I'm considering starting in January. The way freight is, the way I saw it this past year, in February it kind of it dips down and then it picks back up around the beginning of March. Um, would you think it would be a smarter idea to actually start it around March in the beginning of spring instead of starting in the middle of winter? That's an interesting question. Uh, the trend that you just mentioned, where it usually slows down in the first quarter, that is a trend that's happened over the past, yeah, I don't know, since I've been in the industry, up until 2014. 2014, the first quarter for independents and owner-operators, even owner-operators that were leased to companies, the first quarter set records for the rates. All of the major fleets showed a loss. So what does that mean? That means as an independent, when the horrible weather hits, if you remember, we had some of the worst ice storms and snowstorms and terrible weather up through the Midwest and the Northeast, and, and it shut you know, cities down with the weather we had. Well, a lot of the major fleets that have company drivers, maybe have inexperienced drivers, or they have drivers that frankly don't care about the equipment, uh, they'll run at 100 miles an hour, even on icy conditions, or 62, as fast as the pedal will let them go, whatever it takes. Uh, they ended up in ditches and spun around or didn't make their deliveries. So the big fleet took losses. We're actually setting records with their rates because they can handle it. They can dispatch themselves according to the weather. They can chain up if necessary or not if they choose to. They can call the shots. They can typically... Uh, more experienced, know their equipment better. And I say all that to say this. The Farmer's Almanac 
is saying that this is probably going to be the worst winter in recorded history. So if you think last year was bad, this might be worse, and it might, with big emphasis on might, this might be a fantastic year for the freight industry. And, you know, it remains to be seen, but I, I think that there is some good potential out here. Now, I think uh, even the major fleets took notice to what happened last year and probably made their adjustments, but I still think this might be a great time. And on that, I, I want to emphasize that it does take approximately three weeks to activate an authority. So if you fill it out today, you're looking at a three-week window before you're good um, to start running. Okay? Uh, and I know, Christian, you're looking at January, but for everybody else, this if I would do it today. I would not wait any longer because pumpkins are starting to move right now. And to me, that is the sign of the season. Things are about to start rocking and rolling in the trucking industry. And we're going to build up until Christmas time. Freight is going to be hot and heavy up until then. You have an opportunity right now to still get in for this season and be active before the end of October and get in with some of the hottest freight moving of the year. It's going to start happening, and it doesn't matter if you're van, reefer, or flatbed. There is a lot of freight to be moved coming up in the next couple of months. You still have an opportunity to get in on 2014. I would do it now. I wouldn't wait. And like I said, I, I really think that coming in through the, the winter months, we have a, a, a great opportunity to make a, a great cash flow off the rates that, that we might see. And I'm going to emphasize might again. I don't want anybody to come back to me in March and, and cuss me out for, you know, poor performance on the race. But that that's what I expect will happen. All right. All right, Kenny, I appreciate it, man. You have a good day. You too, Christian. So if anybody else has any thoughts on that, I'd love for you to join me. Go ahead and press 1, and Elizabeth will screen your call. Uh, and something else I wanted to talk about as far as finding the freight uh, we've already talked about billing and factoring, which I think is a horrible idea. We've talked about all of these things that that people tend to get afraid of when it comes to running their own business. And I mentioned it before, there's no real requirements as far as a prerequisite to what it takes to get into this business. You could buy a truck today, take your road test this afternoon, uh, fill out the paperwork, it'd be running under your own authority in the three weeks it takes to process the paperwork, and you could start, uh, you're a brand new motor carrier. You may not have ever seen the inside of a truck before, but that's all it takes. There's no requirements. So a lot of people come from, and I don't want to offend anybody with this, but hear me out. There is no training to become a motor carrier. And what I mean by that is, most people start as a company driver and they decide that I see this guy that owns his truck working for the same company. I'm going to become an owner operator and they will either sign a lease purchase or if they're smarter, they'll get into a, they'll buy a truck of their own and lease to a company. Uh, and from there they'll work for a while and they might be doing uh, great at that, but then they see somebody else running under their own authority and they say, wait a minute, the carrier I'm leased to takes 25% of, off every load. I'm going to get my own authority, and then I can keep 100% of every load. 
So they go get their own authority. So now the carriers have trained them to, all they know how to do is they deliver the load, they get their bill of lading signed, they scan their paperwork into the carrier and they collect a check. That's why very few people understand the process it takes to invoice loads. So that's also why what tends to happen is we empower the brokers because we want the easy way out. And so we stay within our comfort zone. Uh, and I'm going to encourage everybody to step out of your comfort zone. Uh, Larry Wingett at the CMC this year had a, a great uh, thing that he said. It was, uh, if you sit in a nice, easy, uh, lazy boy chair, you kick back, you probably doze off, get comfortable, fall asleep, wake up the next morning, and you're still in the same spot with drool on your lip. You haven't moved. If uh, there's a thorn under your, your behind and you sit on that thorn, you're not going to sit there for long because you're uncomfortable. So you're going to move around until you find a better spot. It, you have to be uncomfortable to move ahead, to get in a better spot. So I, I, I'm going to encourage everybody to step out of their comfort zone. And what I want to talk about is sales. Because the training that everybody has basically gotten through working at least through their carriers and everything is get your bill of lading signed, you, fa you fax it or email it to your, your company, they send you a check. And so now you want to do the same thing with your own authority. And it, it find it laughable sometimes when somebody will get their own authority thinking they're going to get 100% of the revenues, but then they only pull brokered freight. There's a lot of money in brokered freight, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't work with brokers, but brokers are easy money. Brokers do all the hard work. Brokers will call the potential customers. They'll negotiate the contracts. The brokers will, uh, and not even on the first call, they will knock on doors. They will visit them. They will buy the office lunch. They will go through all this, sometimes weeks, months, years worth of contacts. Uh, I, I read somewhere that, um, I don't remember who posted it. Uh, it might have been on Facebook or something. I don't remember who it was. I, I, I would credit you if I remembered, but uh, are not made on the first contact. You're going, going to hear no more often than not. Uh, and I believe it's about 5% of sales are made, um, let me say this correctly, out of 100 potential sales calls, you might get five potential yeses. Not absolute yeses, but potential yeses. So that's 5% of all the calls you make. And when, by calls, I don't mean picking up the telephone. I mean contacts. I mean maybe you call them, email them, fax them. Uh, but maybe you meet them in person, you buy them lunch, you sweet talk them, you schmooze them. It's sales and marketing. And so that is where a lot of people fall short. Everybody should look at this new business. When you get your authority, you're starting a new business. You are everything. Every major trucking company has a sales department. If you are the only person in your company, guess what? You are the sales department. Even if you're only working with brokers, 
you need to have a sales attitude about you. This is not a trucking business anymore. This is a sales business. You need to sell yourself every opportunity you get. So I would highly recommend that you, at a minimum, you need business cards. And everywhere you go, you should be dropping some business cards. Every shipper, receiver, and I'm not talking about soliciting or breaking any no-compete clauses, anything like that, but there is nothing wrong with dropping some business cards everywhere you go. Every person you meet in the industry, give them your card. If you have brokers that you work with on a regular basis that take good care of you, you need to reach out to them, thank them, you know, send them, send them thank you notes or cards. Um, something that I, I do is around the holidays, I have a certain uh, group of brokers and agents that I work with that really take care of me. In fact, to the point that my holiday season is what can sustain me through the whole year. They, they are my bread and butter. And I can't do it without them. And I know I can't do it without them. So I buy their whole office around the holidays. I buy the whole office lunch. I call them. I find out who is in the office, what time they're there, uh, you know, how many people are there. And I, I will send, you know, subway caters or uh, local restaurants in the area. And I will call them and set up by their, their whole office lunch. They'll remember me next season. And those things are, are very important. Uh, send a thank you card with maybe a gift certificate or something in it for the agent that you've worked with. If you're working with direct customers, that's where it really gets uncomfortable for most people because now you're talking about actual negotiations with contracts. Dealing with brokers is haggling over a price. There's not a lot of work to it. There's a load board with thousands of loads on it. You just got to pick one and call it and haggle over a price. Maybe you agree to it, maybe you don't. But that's all it comes down to. There's not a lot of actual work involved. Um, I read somewhere, I thought this was a good uh, explanation of a broker-carrier relationship, and it was like it's a one-night stand. Uh, most loads are a one-time deal, move on to the next one. Uh, and that's really how it works with, with brokers. And, you know, you can build a relationship with a broker. Like I said, I've got – it's brokers that I work with around the holidays. But, you know, for this spot market stuff, it's, it's, it's easy money to just call up the number on, listed on the load board. They've already done the hard work and take that. However, if you came to get your thing that you want 100%, of the business, 100% of the revenue. If you're working through a broker, you're not getting it. And I want to give you a quick example, then I want to get to another phone call. Uh, when you're leased to a carrier, that carrier essentially has the same position to your business as a broker has to a motor carrier's business. In other words, if you're leased to a carrier, they might take 25% off the top. And so if the, the line haul is $1,000, you might only get $750 to the truck. If you're a motor carrier and you call a broker, and mind you, a lot of the major carriers have a broker side of the house. If you call that same broker, he's gonna, you're going to get 100%, but you're going to get 100% of the $750 they pay you. They're, already, they're going to take theirs off the top. You just don't ever get to see that there is ever any other into it. So it's just something to be aware of. 
and there's more negotiation involved, and there's more room, more wiggle room if you have your own authority. But the basic uh, flow of cash, that's how it works. And that's something that everybody needs to understand. And I'm going to bring on probably one of the best freight sales guys in the group, uh, George Heck. Uh, George, how am I doing? Uh, you know, you're doing pretty well, except you failed when you didn't remember it was me that was you know, sent me, uh, sent you those stats. I thought it might be, but I didn't want to, you know, miss that. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, I got to dig it back out. I mean, I've looked at it. I mean, it really comes down to normally it takes six contacts. And like you said, it's not just a matter of phone calls of, you know, calling up saying, Hey, can I have the freight? It takes a lot of work. It does. And, and, you know, and I'll give kudos to Kevin because I recorded it the one time and he brought it up. He brought it up on the weekend on the show. And, and I can't stress enough. Yeah, it sucks. Yes, it takes a lot of work. But, boy, you better be used to hearing the word no. Um, Rico had, had um, Chuck Snow on talking about things. And it's not just a matter of making the sales call. It's looking the part. It's playing the game. It's having the excitement. People love this. Customers love this. I'm sorry, but our industry is... Uh, walk around a truck stop, look around. I don't need to say any more. I mean, the customer that I'm hauling a, a, a piece this week, 95 inches wide, I think it's six, 7,000 pounds, 12 feet long down to Alabama. That's all that is on my trailer. But they want dedicated service. I was in there, I think it was nine times before they gave me the time of day. I was doing free moves across town for one of my other very good customers saying, hey, can you deliver this? over to, to this customer. I said, absolutely. She said, how much? I said, nothing. I want to get in there. But this customer has more of that unique side of, of what my business model targets, the, the niche side of things, the high value. The, I don't want to do what everyone else does. And I think that's where the value of the money is. After having spent this much time in, in freight sales as I did, um, you, know, right. you got to differentiate yourself. You do. And, you know, how do you set yourself apart? Even if you're the guy that just has, you know, the truck just like everybody else, a van, you know, doing what everybody else does, how can you differentiate yourself from everybody else? Can you do something different, you know, and how can you make the customer, even if the customer is a broker, how can you make them remember you and call you for the next load that they have? But something that I want to make sure that I do, after I do every one of these call, every one of these podcasts every week, I hang up thinking, man, I think I just scared a lot of people away. And I don't want to do that. So what, one thing I want to emphasize is, you know, there's a lot of money on the broker side, but this is another tool in your toolbox. I mean, when you get your own authority, you are working with such a vast amount of tools, and most people don't know how to use them and don't even realize they have them. And this is the biggest one, in my opinion. It's one that I'm working hard to, to try to learn how to use better. It's one that I know you've really mastered because it's your, you know, that's the number one tool you use is your uh sales experience and you know let's talk about some of the things that you've done to to set yourself apart I, I talked about just business cards and thank you notes but you know one thing that comes to mind with, with your truck is you've got those beautiful graphics you had made up for your trailer and stuff like that what what else have you done you know we've done other things i mean i have a customer um well, and here's another thing i i i use the word customer i don't like to use the word customer i want to call them partners you know, this isn't just a, a one-shot deal or, as you call it, the one-night stand. I want to be an extension of them. You know, I want, you know, you know, my customers to, when they're done or, or, you know, when I deliver for them, 
they come around and say, wow, who, who was that that delivered? That was Blue Heron Logistics. You know, I want that wow factor. I want to be different. Um, but that also comes from having the sales experience that I had of listening to the customers complain. Um, but what I was getting at is one of my customers contacted me. I moved two of his embroidery machines. And we're talking six and ten head embroidery machines. I bartered logoed sweatshirts and T-shirts. Do they matter? Do they make a difference? Well, for image, I think it does when I'm out. I give them away. I, you know, I can't put a value on does it pay for itself, but I know my customers like them. You know, and what did right. it really cost me? Every one of these, you know, moves I did for him were backhauls on moves I was already doing. You know, he's happy because he knew he didn't have to create the machine. It could roll onto my truck. We we strapped it to the wall and took care of it and then did all that. But there there is so much more. And and I'm going to say, you know, yeah, the lunches help, the, the, the interaction. But it really comes down to caring about your people and making a friendship. You know, you hear, you, right. hear, you know, you talk to your customer in, in September and find out, oh, yeah, my, my son's going to be the quarterback. Well, if you don't talk to him until November, find out how the season went. Right. You know, if you're bottom line, people work with and, and, you know, and, and, and he said, wow, I'm 40th anniversary this year. Well, you know what? Send them a quick text or note or her. People work with people they like. It's pretty damn good. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they, if, if they don't like you, if you rub them the wrong way, they're not going to call you again. They just won't. So uh, no, I'm going to – Listen, I don't want to say that everything I get becomes mine. No, I have some people that don't like me. Well, you know what? Even when I was in freight sales, I didn't like doing business with them, and I didn't. You know, um, but, you know, before we go too far, one thing I want to touch on, which I wanted to state earlier, and I know this is costing me money in some senses, I don't have my KYU number. I want to get it. I'm probably going to get it. But last time it annoyed me, you had to print it off online and mail it in. Maybe online, you know, print it and mail it. Now I think it might be online. If it is, I'll do it. But I go through two, maybe three times a year, four to- well, definitely four times a year. I go down through and I come back up. I just get the temporary. It's a 10-day permit. covers everything. Um, yes, it costs me more money, but not as much as the value that I put on my time for logging in every quarter to do it. And when it comes right. down to it, on the moves that I do going through Kentucky, I throw in another 50 bucks on the quote, and it covers it. Yeah, I guess right. that could be 50 bucks in my pocket, but, you know, New York Highway use tax annoys me, but I have to do if it. If you go through any of those states. If you go through any of those states just once in a while, that's probably the best way to go. Like uh, Oregon and New Mexico, the same thing. Um, New York is a little different. New York is a lot more strict on it. You have to have the the decal and everything. Uh, But the other states, Kentucky, New Mexico, Oregon, if you're just going through a few times a year, uh, it's probably you're better off uh, saving your time going ahead and getting a a trip permit for that one. Yeah, and the one thing also with, with, with New York and the highway use tax, people many people don't know to know this or follow it or, or you know, know it. Um, if you run the New York State Thruway, you don't have to pay the highway use tax. That's exempt. Now you have That's to have right. a record of it. But, you know, when I hear everyone saying, I'm not running through, I'm going to run Route 20, it's easier. Between your brakes, your clutch, now paying highway use tax? No, it's not. Right. Yeah, it's, it is better. And I'm going to put you back on hold, George. And I got, I'm going to go to the other extreme here. Uh, 
and I'm going to go with Tony in South Carolina. Tony, can I help you? Uh, we've got about three minutes left. Uh, I don't want to touch on this. And your question is actually probably Chad Boblet's specialty here. Um, Chad does the Brokers and Beyond on Thursdays, but I will I will prime you for his show. So what have you got, Tony? Well, I was talking about what you were saying on there about uh, using brokers, and uh, it's just a one-time deal. Uh, and you just look on the load board, see all these brokers, call any of them you want to, charge them uh, as much as you can get out of them, and uh, you're done with them. And really, for 95% of the truckers out here, uh, that's not the way it goes. Most truckers will go out of business if you just call brokers like that randomly and uh, only try to get the loads to where you can really gouge the the broker and get everything that you can get out of them because freight does fall off. It's not going to stay good all the time. And when it does fall off, you're not going to have any relationships with any brokers. The ones that do know you probably don't like you very much, and you're going to have a real, real hard time finding freight. And the other hand, on the broker side, the broker is a customer to everybody that uses a broker. And they have right. their customers, and it's not a one-time deal uh, if you create a relationship with them. They have to move that freight to stay in business. So they want a good carrier that they have a relationship with that they know that's going to be there, know that's going to be on time, just like a regular customer would want. And uh, they use that carrier all throughout the year and pay them a decent rate. So, I mean, I think it's great to get your own customers like you're talking about. But on the other side, I think brokers can be just as uh, just as good if you get with a good broker that has good freight year-round and it's a, a good, reputable broker that's not going to – that they're not gouging their customer. So they're going to keep their freight, and you're not gouging them, so you can keep your freight with them. Absolutely, and it's all about relationship building. And you know, I I like to go on both sides. I, I use brokers a lot, but I really like the direct customer sales approach as well. It works. I mean, the best business would have as many uh, of each as as they can handle, and service everybody. You know, and, and make sure you have a good service record with direct and uh, broker. Great. And uh, absolutely, building the relationships is, is, uh, goes a long way, even with brokers. Like I said, around my holidays, I rely on brokers heavy, and they, they do well for me, but it's a relationship that I've built with them. And uh, I appreciate the, the call, Tony. I'm going to put you back on hold. We're down to our last few seconds. I want to thank everybody for calling in. It was another great show tonight. Uh, catch Pico uh, Muhammad on the uh, Race and Lane show tomorrow and Chad Boblet on Thursday at 7 with Brokers and Beyond. Have a good night, everyone.